Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey, how's it going? Well, good. Listen, my name is Nate Gagney. I am so glad that you're here. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church. And we have service here in Dover, in Milton, in Plymouth, and in Bethlehem. Will you guys welcome all of them here this morning? I'm glad that you're here. And if you're here for the first time, uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that you're here, that God's been orchestrating things, setting things up for you to hear, to be here today, to hear about his son Jesus, and to hear about the good news of Jesus. He, he loves you. He wants you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. And uh, that can be hard to believe. But if you ask him, if you ask him, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you be my savior? Will you be my God? then he doesn't, he doesn't check your resume at that point. He's like, well, let me think about it. No, it's there. It is done. He, he, he adopts you as his own. That's a wonderful and amazing thing. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And uh, we, uh, you know, sometimes my dad watches online. Uh, he lives in Florida. And so I just take this moment to thank him for, uh, you know, he was... He was a young dad himself, 23 years old, had a couple of kids when he decided to follow Jesus. And I was born shortly after that. I was the, the first child born into the family when, when my parents were both Christians and following Jesus. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, dad, the most important thing, uh, the thing I'm most grateful for, for what you've done for me is that you brought us to church every single week. You brought us to church. And, if, uh, if you're a dad here today and you brought your kids here today, I mean, thank you. It's amazing. Amazing thing where, where so, you know, it's Father's Day, do whatever you want. You're not on the golf course. You're not sleeping in. You're not mowing the lawn or doing landscaping or, I mean, you're here. And I'm proud of you for that. And uh, for any of you who have a godly heritage, thank, thank your thank your your father, your grandfather, for the investment they, they've made in their spiritual life and the effect it's had on yours. And if you're the first Christian in your family, don't feel bad, but you are, you are starting something amazing. Well, listen, uh, let's, let's talk about, I feel like I went from good news to almost bad news. It's not bad news, but, uh, but, uh, but our tone here is going to shift for just a brief moment. Uh, there's a new word within Christianity that you may have heard, and potentially you haven't. Um, as I've talked with some different people this week, it kind of, it's not as a familiar term, which I'm glad about, but I want to talk about it. This first become, began to be widely used about five or six years ago, and it's kind of one of those words that didn't exist, a, a subject that didn't exist, but five or six years ago, all of a sudden it went mainstream, and you could read articles about it. There's a lot of conversations about it. And the word is deconstruction. Now that word, like I've heard of that word before, but in the context of how we're using it within the context of Christianity, really it's a new word. And this 
this, um, this word, it, it's talking about the process of people who, who have stated they have had faith or they've been a Christian, and they've gone through this process of rethinking their faith, and it's led them to on the path of abandoning their faith. This is deconstruction. I am someone who, who grew up in church, who grew up with faith. I've gone through this process, and now I've abandoned my faith. I've abandoned the church, and I've abandoned God. This is something that now it's, it can be, uh, it, I wouldn't say it's prevalent, but, it's, but there, there's definitely a lot of articles and a lot of uh, big names who have done this, and I want to talk about this today. And I think there are some positive things within that, but, I'm, but instead of going on a process of deconstruction, what I would teach you this morning is to instead to embark on a process of disassembly. And there's a difference between the two. I think if you start with, if you think, I'm going to deconstruct my faith, you're starting on a process with the end goal of abandoning your faith. And I would say with disassembly, your, your outset is to say, are there parts on here that are broken? Are there parts on here that need to be repaired? Can we tear this thing apart with the goal of putting it back together better than when it originally was? And we're taking a, a, a car theme here, but my First illustration will not be a car, it'll be a building, uh, a, a building uh, example. But my, um, if you've got a vehicle and it's an antique, one of the things they'll advertise is frame off restoration. So they've, they've taken off every bolt of the thing. They've replaced and repaired every single thing down to even the parts that you cannot see. And what's their goal on that? Not for scrapping it, not to bring it to an auto salvage and, and get some money back for it, to get a few hundred bucks in, in recycled metal. No, the goal is to put it all back together in a greater condition than what you've started with. A few years ago, I rebuilt a shed with my kids that I had helped my dad build in 1994. So it was a, had an interesting thing in our life that... Uh, when uh, I don't remember what year it was, 2018 maybe, I, or 2017, I ended up buying my childhood house. And, uh, and it was just coincidence, it was in foreclosure, and I had just sold a house, and so we bought a house. It, that, that was horrific. Um, but eventually we got to, uh, to, to work on the shed, and. Um, Here's what it looked like before we began in 2019. And it had seen some days, uh, but that's, I mean, it had never been repainted since my dad had painted it. And um, ultimately, it was not in bad shape, but that, but that floor, my dad had built the, almost the whole thing out of salvage wood. So I remember one summer, he was taking apart crates from, from Heidelberg, Harris, and we were pulling nails, and, and he built really almost the whole structure out of that. And, um, and now, fast forward to 2019, Carpenter Ants had gotten in all of that foundation, and, and the, the, the floor inside of that was wavy and, 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 and not safe anymore. So 
I have the same mentality that my dad has. And, and you know, my, with my dad, he built it out of savage wood. And so what I did is, you know, kind of passed on to me is I was like, well, tear it down and build a new shed. No, that costs too much money. We're going to take it apart, fix what's broken, and put it back together. Anything to save money, probably anything for a story. This is just how I am. I am, I am cheap. 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 So um, I'll show you a couple of pictures of this. So we get this picture, then uh, we begin to take it, take it apart. And so we took off the roof, and we're, we're laying the pieces off to the side. And uh, so you get the three walls here. Then the next step here is now you've got your walls all off to the side. We've removed the floor that's all rotted. We reset the concrete pillars, and then we start the process of putting it back together. So you get the new floor. Uh, my wife, my kids, when they were younger, and the most dangerous thing I've ever made them do, try to stand up that wall. I'm not joking. It, it was hundreds and hundreds of pounds. We dropped it twice. It hadn't landed on any of these three younger kids. We would have three kids, not four. It was so heavy and so dangerous and so stupid. But Next step, we start putting it all back together. Grateful thing is I didn't have to measure anything. It was already measured 25 years ago. And uh, we even had, uh, and then this is the after. So this is the only after picture I could find. I even had in the, in the garage, because it was a foreclosure, the windows my dad left in the eaves of the garage were still there. And so I was even to replace the exact windows that were there. Now rebuilt. It was a new roof and a new floor structure, but it looked the same, and it cost me, I don't know how much it cost me, it cost me like 200 bucks. I mean, that is so, for me, who's a cheapskate, that's like on the, my list of top 10, all right? <laughs> top, top 10 ways I've saved money. I'm trying to think, I mean, I wish I could, I'm going to have to write out my, my, top, my top 10. The... Um, anyway, I'm off the subject because I'm like, what was my, my top 10? What's my Mount Everest of cheapskate projects? Well, what I want you to think about in your faith is, again, deconstruction versus disassembly, is you can just dismantle it and destroy it. But maybe there's something valuable. Maybe there's something worthwhile. Maybe there's some history. Maybe there's some tradition. Maybe there's some heritage. Maybe there's some things to hold on to. Now, I want to share with you some reasons, um, and it's probably not all the reasons, but maybe some common reasons why some people um, go through a process of deconstruction, why they go through a process of abandoning the faith. Number one is there's too many unanswered prayers. You you're praying to God, you don't feel like God's listening to you, and so you're like, well, what's the point of all of this? If he's not going to listen, if he's not going to answer my prayers, then why am I going to stick around? Second thing is too many unanswered questions. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I'd like to think that at Restoration Church, you can ask questions, you can ask questions about Jesus, you can investigate him and the word and, and, and try to find out for yourself if he's real. Well, that's not true everywhere, and even probably you would, I think someone would say, like, that's great, you want that, but I could never actually ask a question. Well, occasionally you can, because we allow you to text in questions. Um, but 
if you begin to have feelings of doubt, um, there's not a place to ask questions. You just, well, you just need to have faith. And the answer is, you just need to have faith. You just need to have faith. You just need to have faith. And you're told that, like, and you begin to think, I don't think anybody here actually knows anything. I don't think they believe anything. And, uh, and so you, you bounce because of that. I've told this to, uh, to the teenagers before. Uh, sometimes we think, um, if I have a doubt, then I'm out. But you, if you begin to have doubts, there's no reason for you to feel like you have to leave church, abandon the faith. Everybody deals with doubt sometimes. So much of the, of the time between Jesus's death and his ascension to Christ, or his ascension to heaven, it says, and the disciples doubted, and the disciples doubted, but many doubted, and Thomas doubted, and they all doubted, and many more doubted. It's like every time there's a conversation in those um, 40 days from his resurrection, or, or 43 days from his death until his ascension to heaven, they were doubting almost the entire time. Jesus shows it up in there, to them in person, and they doubt it. He's eating a meal with them to prove that he's alive and real, and they're still skeptical. It, it was, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our mind around what Jesus is doing, what Jesus wants for us, what Jesus says is possible. Look, that's true. It, it is hard. You end up with too many of those unanswered questions or a place not to be able to ask questions, and so you abandon the faith. Here are a couple more. You've been let down by church leadership. And you've, you've gone to church, you've been following a, a leadership, and then you find out that leadership is not even, this thing is wobbling today, and I'm trying to keep it from bothering me. Uh, you're trying to, and, and so, that's a, that's a struggle. I think I'm going to talk about that more here in the message. I'm trying to figure out if I accidentally deleted my notes or if, I, uh, if I've got that somewhere else. But anyway, we'll get back to it if we forgot. But you've been let down by church leadership, and so that's it. I'm gone. And the next thing is there have, you've witnessed and you've seen church examples of terrible behavior. It could be power abuse. So leadership was, uh, was abusing people with their power and mistreating people. It can be money scandals, which is, uh, which is very often. Uh, I worked at a church in Texas. I was on staff there. We were doing a fundraiser. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the, the church admin and the church, one of the church secretaries were buying clothes with the fundraiser money. And this is like $40,000 fundraiser that was coming in over a weekend. They were one for you, one for me, one for the church. And they were taking lots of money over many years. That stuff happens. Uh, there can be sexual immorality, and then there can be cover-ups. And those can be some of the most painful and, um, uh, unfortunately, all too common. These are reasons. They see all these things going on, and they're like, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm out. I'm not following Jesus. I'm not being a part of this. I'm going to go live my own life. Listen, you have seen all that is wrong with it, and, it, and you just think it would be easier and faster to light a match to it. And you, you look at 
your faith, you look at everything and you see that old dilapidated shed. You're like, what are we even doing? I'm going to try to rebuild this. This is stupid. This is foolish. Um, Let's get rid of it and put in a fire pit. Let's go. Let's, Let's not even think about this. Listen, I want you to say this, all right, because, um, uh, because there are, I mean, I've got a lot of church stories uh, from, uh, you know, I've been a part of Restoration Church, but I've been a part of other churches. I've worked and done internships at other churches. I've had a lot of leadership over me. There's always going to be some things wrong. But let me say this, if something isn't right, that does not mean that everything is wrong. Something is, isn't right, not everything is wrong. That was kind of the illustration with that shed. Replace the floorboards and it's going to be good for another 25 years. That there may be some things within your experience. There may be some things within our church. There may be some things that exist within the big picture uh, Christianity that aren't right, but we can work on making those right. There may be some things within your personal faith journey that aren't right, that just don't sit well with you. But I'm telling you this morning, don't abandon it all. Let's begin to disassemble it. Let's begin to to fix some things that are broken and wrong and then put it back together again. So the question is, for you, is there a way to rebuild a fledgling faith? Is there a way if you're like, I just don't even know. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm out. I think I'm, I'm not gonna continue on this. Is there a way to, to find something, to, pervert, to preserve something, to see value in something and begin to put it back together? If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Jude. Uh, it might be hard to find. It's about one page, all right? But it's near, it'll be near the end and um, it's uh, a little bit of, while you're opening there, a little bit of background on this. Jude was one of Jesus's brothers. And so he did not understand who Jesus was. He did not decide to follow Jesus until the resurrection. And you think about this, you know, if you've ever had siblings or dealt with sibling rivalry and you said to your sibling, like, you just think you're so perfect, don't you? Like, imagine saying that to Jesus. Like, it'd be like, well, theologically, yes, I am perfect. <laughs> uh, it, it would be really hard to deal with. They, they rejected him. They weren't following him when he's teaching on earth. They're nowhere around. Uh, but yet, once he shows back up, after he's been crucified, and, he, and he's having that conversation with them. Hey, I want you to understand, like, what mom was saying. It's true. Who I am, it's true. The mission I'm on, it's true. And both Jude and James became followers, became missionaries. Jude, uh, James and Jude both traveled with their wives all over the uh, Africa, Asia, Europe, telling others about Jesus, that he was God's son, that he was crucified and resurrected for us. So there's just 24 verses here in this, in, in this letter, and he's teaching us a couple of things. There's two main things that he's pointing at and he wants us to know. The first is that he is 
wanting to expose false teachers. And some of this we kind of talked about last week. There we have orthodoxy. These are things that are, uh, that are historic and true and have been believed on now for, for, for a couple thousand years. These are the, the fundamental truths of Christianity, but there are people teaching opposite of that. Uh, this time, hey, Jesus didn't really resurrect in the body. He was a ghost. He wasn't really resurrected. What we saw was a ghost of him. Well, that's not true. And we can't believe Jesus came and he was never fully one of us. He came and he was God. He looked like us, like he did in the, like he, he appeared in the Old Testament as one of us, but he wasn't fully human. Well, these are things that are not true. And then there's even uh, definitely false teaching like, um, you, you know, you have to, Jesus is just a part of all of the law and tradition of the Jewish faith and, and many, many different um, false teachings. And so he's recognizing this. He's speaking against it. And he's telling Christians to stand firm in the faith and to fight for truth. Very, very important that we don't let false doctrine or false teaching slip into our church, slip into our, uh, uh, slip into, uh, our, um, our reading, slip into our thought. We want to be very careful that we're defending and intaking pure doctrine. The second thing is that he thought it, not only that we fight for truth, right, but that we, that we stand against those working against Jesus Christ. So it's not just that we're dealing with ideas, but that we're dealing with people who are speaking against Jesus. Very, very important that when someone's coming into a church setting, into a Bible study, into, uh, into influence or leadership, and they begin to teach things that are against Scripture, that are against Jesus, that we, as a church, have to deal with that. Very, very, very important that we understand that. Never fun, and we're questioning, isn't God love? Yes, God loves people, but God needs his church to be teaching Jesus. So let's read this. In Jude, we're going to read verse number 17. And Jude writes this. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you into eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. All right. 
a lot in this we could talk through. We're not going to be able to hit all of it. But he, Jude begins to speak and give a prescription, begins to give us a foundation for a faith that is, uh, that is life-giving, for a faith that is honoring God, for a faith that we would never want to or never need to run away from or to get rid of. And he's talking about some fundamentals here, and I don't want you to tune out on those because you've heard it all, but I want you to begin to think, how can you practice this? How can you enjoy this? How can you participate in this? How can you receive life from this? Not just going through like a religious ritual, because there's a big difference. So if you're going to disassemble your faith, do you have these things as a foundation? Number, uh, verse number 17, it says, remember the teaching of the apostles. Remember the teaching of the apostles. So we've got the New Testament that has now been, uh, been put together. These letters that were being rewritten and, and copied and shared with the church, they have now conveniently put them into one bound book for us to carry, and even more conveniently, put it in a digital format for us to always have with us. We've got to remember the teachings of the apostles. Very, very important that in order to remember them, you must first know them. Know the teachings of the apostles. This is part of last week's message. You've got to know. You've got to know right teaching from wrong teaching. If you know right teaching, it's easier to understand wrong teaching. It's easier to identify wrong teaching. Remember the teachings of the apostles. We, um, in, in our current culture, the way it exists right now in 2023, is we can get lured into and drawn into uh, things that, that aren't biblical, things that aren't, uh, that aren't doctrinal, uh, and what we end up just doing is chasing, potentially, what preaches popular. And, and so it's like every couple of years, there's a new wave of preachers that, uh, that arrive on the scene, that have a, a new message, a new charisma, and we jump in. Some of those are absolutely amazing. Some of them beginning to teach things that aren't scriptural. And so you have to be aware who you're listening to. Just because everybody's sharing, just because they're gone viral, everybody's sharing their, their, uh, their, their Instagram story or their reels or, their, uh, or, or clips from their sermon, that, that does not mean that what they're teaching overall is right. The other thing that happens you know, one of the things, one of the reasons we have to remember the teachings of the apostles is because culture then can begin to look at, well, what doctrine is unpopular? And if there's a doctrine that, that is unpopular, then I'm going to reject that doctrine. I'm going to ignore that part. I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. And we've got to remember what they've taught. We've got to hold on to what they've taught. So it, it, uh, obviously one that was... Um, one that was popular, I don't think I've, it's as popular now, maybe I'm just not paying attention, but remember 10 years ago, it was the coexist sticker. And, um, 
And so it would have every religious symbol on it. And some were like, hey, why do we have to keep fighting and killing each other? And like, well, not every group is fighting and killing each other. Sometimes they're just killing the Christians and the Jews. So let's think about that for a second. But beyond that, what they're trying to say is you shouldn't tell people that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We should just, they believe what they believe, you believe what you believe. Don't tell people otherwise. And that sounds nice. Yeah, you, you're good there. We're good here. Except fundamentally, we believe the apostles teaching that there is a hell, there is a life after this one, and we have that great commission with Jesus to lead people to his father through him, through his message, through what he did on the cross and the grave. And so if we ignore that, if we bail out on that, that's a simple, subtle, false teaching that absolutely disconnects us from what we want. What doctrine is unpopular? So maybe we should shift it. Maybe we should change it. Maybe we should adapt it. Well, what ends up is we live fad-based and not Bible-based, and you don't have a foundation for a life of faith. And this is one of the things that can happen. This could be one of the reasons why you're going to take this faith that you have and get rid of it, because your faith hasn't been built on the teaching of the apostles. It's been built on the teaching of a, of a popular teacher or author or celebrity. And what you, instead of having a foundation for faith, you've put and develop the foundation for falling away. Because you put it in popularity and what's popular, not on what is timeless and true. Verse number 20, it says, build each other up in the faith. Again, like, we, we always come back to this. Our Sunday gatherings are important. Our circles are important. And not just here, but elsewhere. Us continually making sure that we're having friendship, relationship, accountability, Bible study with other Christians is one of the ways that we stay true. One of the ways that we stay in this for a long time. How do we serve the Jesus the rest of our life? Well, if you're doing it alone, you can't. If you're doing it alone, you won't. You won't. But if we stay connected, correcting each other, course correct, supporting each other when popular opinion is against us, we can stay in, build each other up in the faith. Christianity has faith in one thing. Anybody know? Jesus. We have faith in one thing, Jesus. Our faith is not in the church. Our faith is not uh, in our doctrine. Our, our, our faith is not in our practices. Our faith is not in our worship songs. Our faith is not in our leaders. Our faith is in Jesus. If you've ever heard someone say this, uh, they, they'll say this, someone, there'll be some video of someone doing something nice, and they'll say, faith in humanity restored. And, and the, 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 the idea is, I used to have faith in humanity, then I did it because they're all so horrible and gross, but this one person did something nice, so faith in humanity restored. Listen, don't put your faith in people. Don't put your faith in people. Don't put your faith in your parents. Don't put your faith in your spouse. Don't put your faith in your pastor. Don't put your faith in celebrity pastors. Don't put your faith in your professors. Don't put your faith in your neighbor. Put your faith in Jesus. 
And when people go sideways, you can continue to follow Jesus. What happens is, well, I, I talked about this, and so I did put it later on in my notes. One of the reasons that people deconstruct their faith and walk away from the faith is because of, of, because of how other people have acted, just saying they're Christians, or how other people have maybe walked away from what they taught, or they were hypocrites. If you Don't put your faith in church leaders or other Christians or Christian celebrities. And if, you, and if your faith is in Jesus... It doesn't matter who comes and goes. It doesn't matter what they said or what they taught or, or what they did. You'll continue on the path of following Jesus because he's the one you're following. He's the one who's your God. He's the one who you worship. Now for me, um, so not only am I end up, am a pastor, but I've been under many, many pastors. And I, this morning, started tracking the pastors that I've sat under in my life, and I changed the number three times from my notes and got to this number, eight former pastors of mine. So either at this church, um, uh, on internships, ones I worked for, changing it again, it's nine, <laughs> ten, ten former pastors of mine are divorced. 10. Of those, the number is, would increase if I would say how many are not in ministry anymore. So they're still married, but they're not in ministry. That number will climb beyond 10. And I bet you if I think of it a little bit more, we would move beyond, beyond 10. If my faith was in my leaders, men of God I looked up to, men of God who I would have died for. If my faith was in them, in them I would not have continued following, I would not have continued in the church. But they are not the ones who died on the cross for me. They are not the ones who love me unconditionally. They are not the ones who've washed away my sin. It was my Savior, Jesus. And I pray that, and for many of those guys, they, they are following the Lord, and so I'm not denigrating them. They've, there's been restoration and work in their life. It was crippling. It was like a, 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 a Tanya Harding crowbar to a Nancy Kerrigan knee when I was trying to pursue ministry and follow the Lord, and, and I was... And I was getting these hits over and over again and questioning, well, should I go into ministry? But my question was never, should I even follow Jesus? Because I knew how he changed my life. And, and, and prayerfully, I sustain my soul and my walk with him and my heart with him and I pursue him and not my own fleshly desires, not my own sins, and I continue to follow him forever. But if I should ever one day say, I'm not a Christian anymore, you should be like, hopefully shocked. <laughs> like, we kind of knew, we figured, no, hopefully shocked. But, but hopefully it wouldn't change a beat. You would still be here the next week worshiping Jesus, being kingdom builders, and moving forward, worshiping a God who will never leave us, forsake us, or fail us. 
more real quick. Verse number 20. Firm foundation. He says, Jude says, pray in the Holy Spirit. There's a supernatural part of Christianity that many people don't engage in. And I think this is what makes it deconstruction so appealing. Because you're looking what feels like a dusty book and dusty traditions and a dusty faraway God. And you're like, I just don't really want to commit the last of my life to this. I get it. I wouldn't want to either. But we worship and serve a God who can be experienced. You can feel and, and experience the tangible presence of God, which is like, man, you're creeping me out, pastor. You're missing out. You're missing out because when you experience God, and I grew up in church my whole life. I've shared this story a hundred times. I was 14 years old. I came forward to get prayed for my third knee, inside softball joke, and God changed my life as a 14-year-old. I experienced God. I was crying and snotting like I had just eaten the bomb hot sauce. But it wasn't. I had come into the presence of God, and God said, hey, Nate Gagne, I know who you are, and I love you. And then later, when I was at a, 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 an event where someone manifested in demonic spirits, and it was scary, and it was frightening, and I was a teenager, but a couple hours later, when that person had given their life to Jesus, and they had been transformed, I thought, oh, wow, not only... Can God forgive me? But God is really powerful. God is really powerful. And then a couple years later, when I begin to see one healing miracle, not all, every single week, but over the years, I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of miracles. I mean, wait, God, He cares about us. He is even more powerful than our sicknesses, than our infirmities, than our untreatable cancers. He is bigger and stronger and better than those things. And all those things show me he is the God worth following. He is the one to be near. And so one of these things, praying in the Holy Spirit, is one of those things like, hey, I just don't know. I don't get it. I don't think I could. You don't have to. But I always tell our church this, if God says he has something for you, then you say, hey, if you want to give it to me, I'll experience it. If you want to give it to me, then sure, I'll try it. I want my kid, when I tell my kids, hey, try this food, I want them to try it because I know it will change their life. This week, one of our high school graduates, Gunner, I brought him out to lunch and I said, Gunner, what do you want to eat? We can get a burger or we can get goat, your choice. He chose goat and I was so happy. <laughs> so we went to a restaurant in Portsmouth. We both ate goat and uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Was it good for you? Thumbs up. <laughs> and you're like, I could never eat goat. I could never eat goat. You don't have to but you're missing out. I could never experience the Holy Spirit. I could never pray in a prayer language or pray in the Holy Spirit. That's fine. You don't have to, but you're missing out. There's something beautiful there. There's something special there. It's not freaky or weird. It's amazing. You're thinking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit like a second grader thinks about kissing a girl. Ew, kissing a girl. No, listen. 
listen to me, boy. There's a day coming. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to teach you as your pastor. There's something beautiful and special about this. And you would think, why is he including this in there? Isn't it, can't you take it or leave it? 1 Corinthians 14.4, so another of the Bible writers, Paul, said this, the one who prays in the Holy Spirit builds himself up. So how do you keep your faith strong, vibrant? Praying in the Holy Spirit every day, praying in the Holy Spirit every week, praying in the Holy Spirit in a worship service. Your spirit man is built up. It's pull-ups, chin-ups, core exercises that strengthens you. Last thing, verse number 21 is, and I'm going over time, apologize, let's rock and roll and get this thing done. Bam, come to your feet so you're ready for me to end. Keeping themselves, it says, verse number 21, keep themselves in the love of God. Other scriptures that talk about this, Mark, the gospel writer, wrote in uh, 12 verse 30, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We don't just adopt a Christian practice. We have a love for our God. Revelation 2 verse 4, Jesus speaking to a church that had begun to fall away. And he said, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. If we begin to grow in these things, remember the teaching of the apostles. Building each other up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping, themselves in, keeping ourselves in the love of God, then what happens, the result is an ever-deepening faith, an ever-growing faith, an ever-increasing faith. And you end up, and guys, will you join me because I'm about to end, what you end up with a, uh, you end up with a faith that is lifelong. That is nothing you'd ever, ever want to get rid of because it's so enjoyable, impactful, beneficial. We think about these disciples, think about so many Christians across the world, even today, who are given the choice, hey, not only do I want you to deconstruct your faith, but I want you to end your life. So you're going to choose today to give up on Jesus or we're going to kill you. And they say, how could I ever turn against my Savior and my God? It's because they did this. They knew him. They followed him. They loved him. They weren't following a church. They weren't following a leader. They weren't following it because it was culturally right or acceptable or popular. It's because they knew the one who loved them. They knew the one who died on the cross for them. And I'll close with this verse. I'll pray. And then we're going to stand and sing. Actually, why don't everybody at every location stand right now? Jude, it's the same book. After we walk through all these things, it's a promise here. Verse number 24. Now glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. And I tell you what, if, if you've seen so many people come and go in your life like I have, you begin to feel like I did as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, what am I even doing? How am I even going to follow the Lord if all of my heroes aren't finishing the race that they've been called to? Well, again, God's, if I maintain this, he promises this, all glory to God who's able to keep you from falling away. And he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence 
without a single fault, the righteousness of Jesus on me. He says the righteousness of Jesus on you if you ask him. Close your eyes, let me pray, band ready to sing. Jesus, we love you. We worship you, we praise your name. You are our savior, you are our God. Restoration Church doesn't save us, they point us to you. I don't save people, I point people to you. Our religious things that we do, raising our hands, singing, they don't save us, but they point us to you. Jesus is you. As you crucified, as you resurrected, Jesus is you. You're the name above every other name. You're the name by which we're saved. And I pray for every person in Restoration Church. I pray for every person in this world that they begin to have the opportunity to know you. Not religious practice, not church attendance, but they know you as their Savior. And may it change everything. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.